0: Yo, what's up, this is your boy, L-A-A-K-A, the Love Ambassador, and firstly, a uh, special shout-out to Kelly Ranks uh, for retweeting our episode. Check him out on, obviously, Twitter, uh, some crazy music coming up from the reggae dancehall star himself, but he was kind enough to retweet a couple of our episodes, and Will following has gone through the absolute roof. Anyway, uh, just a of more personal story to begin with. Um, my sister actually came back from Milan, of all places. And um, she's uh, a very hard-working, independent woman. Uh, highly successful. She clearly got all the brains. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing all right with the scraps. But she's really into high-end fashion. Uh, so she has got... Every single designer label you can imagine under the sun and all the different types of clothes and shoes and handbags and whatever. And as I was talking about a trip, I don't know, part of me kind of wondered, like, how did Paris and Milan become so famous? And how is it that these fashion labels can... Dictate such exorbitant amounts of money and then more so, how did they convince the world um, to fork out an insane <laughs> amount of cash for what is essentially clothes? So clothes that are a generic item um, with the the, the the difference really of maybe the, you know, polyester or cotton um so the fabric. But then you're basically putting a label on it and because of your design like you you can charge for like a two dollar t shirt, let's say a couple of hundred dollars. So this is a uh <laughs> this is a this is a straight Aussie Blake's attempt at uh doing a podcast on, <laughs> on fashion. So I guess well you can't die wandering in this world, so let us begin haute couture. Okay, so basically, it started in French. The meaning is actually high sewing, a high dressmaking. Um, it actually has its foundation in the French aristocracy. So, what the French aristocracy was actually quite famous for was the designs of their actual clothes. Um, in particular, uh, with Marie Antoinette. Uh, so with Marie Antoinette being the, well, I guess the last Queen of France before, well, it didn't end too well for us. she got beheaded. But anyway, her stylist um, was the first to kind of, essentially add swag to what was being done. Um, and from that, basically she tried to, Appealed to the common masses through fashion. Uh, obviously, it didn't work because of the French Revolution, but the concept kind of stayed there. Um, and then what happened was that even after the Revolution, France, it was kind of like their export. You know, like it's on record that the French finance minister in the 1700s basically said that the Spanish have the gold and we have fashion. And what ended up happening was that through the invention of like the steam train uh, and, and, and travel, people started to visit Paris from mainland Europe. Uh, and from that they started, well, well the wealthier women of other uh, royal families or wealthy you know, landlords started to invest in this boutique type of fashion. Uh, And so, at the time, it was highly individual. Uh, It was literally like, um, you know, my grandfather's a a tailor and my grandmother was a milliner, a hat maker. And it was literally like the person would walk in and say, you know, I've got X amount to spend and I want you to create me this this piece. The first person to take it to the next level, uh, so to speak, was a gentleman by the name of Charles Frederick Worth, R-W-O-R-T-H. And what he basically did was he um, was the first to kind of use a label. He was one of the first to have like a proper runway of models. He was the first to bring about the notion of, I'm going to struggle to pronounce this, couture, And he was the first kind of essentially create like a brand, like a Prada or Versace or whatnot. Um, And then from that, the fashion obviously changes, right? In between wars and depending, it's a reflection of the society uh, and also it spreads through colonization till we find ourselves um, in the 1960s uh, where, you know, Yves Saint Laurent, Pierre Cadin, Uh, Emmanuel Ngaro, uh, Japanese native Hane Amori, and a lot of other, um, Dolce and Gabbana, a lot of other people that we know for high-end fashion now come through, uh, and it kind of keeps transcending through to current day, um, where now we're seeing a mix of uh, still Paris and Milan kind of dictating, but uh, as I'll go through the history, from sort of the 80s, we see Japan start to rise as a standalone sort of fashion area. So you basically have Paris, Milan, New York, uh, London, and Tokyo as the main hubs. And what we're seeing now is uh, a rise again of this culture because mainly driven by, uh, to a a certain extent, Asia, I mean, and in, in particular with China and And a little bit Japan, but Japan's kind of got a separate kind of um, fashion industry going. But as anyone can attest from either being in Europe or even going to Australia or Melbourne and seeing the queues of Chinese nationals going to buy all the designer labels, that in itself has sort of driven it immensely as well Um, and becomes, you know, sort of the people's therefore start to understand more about fashion because they kind of see it more readily when they're they're walking around the streets. So like I said, uh, it was started within France. It became kind of like a export um, with, you know, Queen Marie Antoinette who was the the queen of uh, France, obviously, uh, and Rose Berlin was the designer. And then we see uh, the Englishman, Charles Frederick Worth, start what we know today roughly to be sort of fashion houses. And then I'll go just quickly through um, sort of the history because, (coughs) well, fuck it, it's my podcast and I like history. (laughs) So anyway, like I said, um, from the 1900s, Uh, Around sort of the 1900s, we see, coming off the back of uh, Charles Frederick Worth, um, we see still the women wanting to have a sense of, like, similar to kind of like when Kim Kardashian had the pictures recently at the Met with, like, a super, super narrow waist where she obviously had to take ribs out. Well, women back in the day were using um, corsets, and so it was actually known as the Kavirch's a spin silhouette, which dominated the fashion until 1908. And what it was was a corset that thrust the chest forward <laughs> into the monobosom, basically put your tits up, and with the aid of padding, judicious placement of trimming and clothing, and most especially a particular posture, entirely independent of the corset, created the illusion of an S silhouette. Uh, Meaning, uh, when you turn on Instagram today, actually it's fascinating, so when you turn on Instagram today, it's basically the plastic surgeons of what were doing, what was, you know, uh, fashion was originally doing with the use of corsets. Um, By around sort of 1910, the Mason Redfin was the first fashion house to offer women a tailored suit based directly on its male counterpart. And the extremely practical and soberly elegant garment soon became an indesirable part of the wardrobe of any well dressed women. Uh, by the 1910s, um, there was a rise of uh, Oriental influence, uh, Oriental art generally a- across the board. I mean, if you watch anyone gets high and watches this antique roadshow, then <laughs> you know what's going on. So they were looking at sort of. Um, Colors to do with uh, vivid colors, uh, kimonos, uh, what the geishas would wear. Um, Paul Paria also devised the first outfit which women could put on without the help of a maid, which in itself, like I said, that that was sort of revolutionary. You see the Art Deco movement start to emerge. Um, so they see hats and turbans and more extravagance within the color. Two of the most inf- Influential fashion designers of the time were Jacques Doucet and Mariano Fortuny. The French designer Jacques Doucet excelled in superimposing pastel colours, and his elaborate gauze-marie dresses suggested the impressionist shimmers of reflected light. So basically, they were they, they were applying more ambitious colouring instead of your black, grey, and, and stock standard. Um, we sort of fast forward to after World War I, which finished in 1918, and it's not what what is known as the golden age of French fashion, which becomes important later on because people become nostalgic and start to look at it. But basically, uh, this is also where we start to see the export in modern terms of Paris being sort of the hub of, um, of the fashion world. That's from film. So you see American heiresses, film stars, wealthy industrialists, um, photography magazines starting to spread it around the world. Uh, and you see sort of short bobs being, meaning short hair, dresses with long trains gave way to the above knee pinafores. So just, yeah, it's not a miniskirt, it's just something, but it's still above the knee. Corsets were abandoned and women borrowed their clothes from the male wardrobe and the kind of, it sounds like um, in, it, it'd be put in a different context today when you say that, but it's also, you've got to think in the terms of, you know, when you watch the old movies, like the corsets and that sort of stuff that it means it was more easy to wear clothing of what we kind of understand now. Um, And although they were sort of reluctant to do it, um, the flapper style, known to the French as the garçon look, became very popular among young women. Um, Hats were usually worn, Uh, sportswear became more popular. Uh, The great courtier, Coco Chanel, was a major figure in fashion at the time. As much for her magnetic personality as for her chic and progressive designs. Chanel helped popularise the bob hairstyle, the little black dress, and the use of the jersey knit for women's clothing, and also elevated the status of both costume, jewellery, and knitwear. Two other prominent French designers in the 1920s were Jean Lanvin and Jean Patou. Uh, they began as Milner, which is a hat maker like my grandmother, and made special beautiful out- outfits for the young daughters. They became to start to used sort of fashion yearbooks in print in order to assist them um and it was also more to do with sort of embroideries Embroidering embroidering is the style of stitching um, and also starting to set up trademarks but they also used furs lingerie um, and other influences from interior designer and then so you fast track through there where it just starts to become more and more liberal uh, so you start to see Heels over two inches, which I know today sounds preposterous, but then it was quite revolutionary. Um, And it goes right up to the Wall Street crash of 1929. And then the 30s was uh, what was known as the Great Depression for those that don't know economics, but basically it uh, (coughs) it it was like the GFC that we had on absolute steroids. So that affected the fashion. There wasn't as much money. Um, it became sort of more mundane and then that entered into World War Two. So you see a period and the reason why it's known as the Golden Era of Fashion in the twenties was that it was the last time where it was kind of pre pre economic hard times, pre-war and whatnot. So after World War Two, there's not really that much money around. Europe's kind of being rebuilt, the Haunta thing's been devastated, and the fifties is um just like super conservative you know so they've gone really sort of back in the the way that they saw things um Hubert de Vin- Da Vinci opened his first couture house in 1952 and created a cessation with his ...separates which could be mixed and matched at will, which is, yeah, I mean, so that's mixing and matching your clothes, which is now quite common. You see boutiques opening up also in other areas of the world. Uh, this is the start of sort of the export, of not only in Europe, but places like Buenos Aires. Uh, Pierre Belmain opened his first salon in 1945. Um... Parisians was typified by the tailored glamour of the new look with its ample bust, narrow waist and full skirts by mastery of cut and the management assemblies of fabrics in subtle colours and combinations. We then come through because otherwise we're going to lose half <laughs> our audience in 50s fashion. I know you're trying to stick with us lads and you're doing a great job. Basically, the swing in 60s, um, six drugs and rock and roll. Paris starts to get um, challenged. This comes about with sort of the invention of the miniskirt, and also just like um, individuality of other places, you see the rise now from the '60s and therefore on of more sort of the Italian designers um, and other designers around the world. Conservatism's dis dissed, um, got rid of miniskirts. Imagine 1965. Uh, we also see in London designers like Mary Quant who developed the miniskirt. Also, um, Barbara Hulenki, the founder of legendary boutique Bieber. Um, and then you also see Yves Saint Laurent uh, come onto the scene, known for his revolutionary yet elegant fashions. Emmanuel Ungaro, known for his imaginative use of colour and bold Baroque contrasts. Uh, in the United States, you see Rudy Jernrich, known for his avant garde and futuristic designs. And James Galanis, known for his luxury ready to wear. It starts to get more and more psychedelic they start to experiment things with sort of scrap metal uh, aluminium all sorts of other types of dresses to challenge the society you also see um the rise of perfume as well so perfume starts to be marketed as well um polo neck never exceeding succeed in replacing the tie, with the adoption of the workman's jacket starts to come through what we're sort of seeing with today's and then you also start to see again from heralding back to the 20s a new rise from um fashion being seen through movie and film and whatnot uh, and also your sort of celebrities and partnerships start uh so you see um most famously, Audrey Hepburn with Da Vinci, uh, Jackie Kennedy and Oleg Cassini. Also, many models have a profound effect on fashion. Most notably, Twiggy, Vera, Shuka, Jean Shrimpton. Uh, you also see the bikini coming into fashion in 1963, uh, and also English ta- tailors start to make a bit, bit of a comeback. The 70s is uh, is, goes into a different thing. Uh, it becomes marked more so by the influences of uh, black power, uh, radical chic, afro hairstyles, uh, platform soles. Um. Hems begins dropping in 1974 to below the knee. Its shoulder lines are dropped. It's the disco look. <laughs> Everyone knows what the disco look kind of looks like. Uh, the most innovative fashion designers in the 70s from France were Kenzo Takada and Sonia Rykiel. Uh, You also start to see another, once again, a a mix of Western and Oriental influences, fluid lines, unusual prints, clever accessories, um, knits, uh, you see all sorts of fluid-knitted garments, dark black rhinestones, scarves, you see the rise of punk rock. Uh, so because of punk, London retained a considerable degree of influence over fashion, most significantly in the boutique of King's Road, where Vivian Westwood's boutique 6 opened in 1971. And you see things like Doc Marden's Native American hairstyles, bondage, trousers, and chains. Um, and also you see um, a push against... Um, sort of the old 1950s white way in a rise of uh, feminines mo pro feminine look uh, styled and, and popularized by Laura Ashley um, so and then in the United States you start to see them come on, come on with sort of Calvin Klein uh, and also Ralph Lauren starts to make his move around sort of 1971. They you start to see glam rock uh, as depicted by David Bowie. Um, and you start to see that come popular and being pushed out of Milan. So what you see is essentially like a huge mix of difference from, you know, the craziness of David Bowie's image to the punk almost sort of neo-Nazi look of uh, <laughs> the the punk scene in England and then you also see you know like the Black Power and you know people looking like the James Brown and whatnot as well. Um, The 80s kind of comes in um, from 1975 also just quickly backtrack you see Giorgio Armani come in the scene Um, from the outset the line was dynamic urban and understated and Armani offered a restrained style that greatly appealed to the increasing population of women who now had access to the world of work and occupied progressively more senior positions within it. Uh, and then he launched as Emporio Armani at 1981. So then by the time we get into the 80s, uh, it's all the, <laughs> the, the shoulder pads and it just goes, it's all about me the 80s. And that's, that's what you sort of see. It's like... Um, Big hair, shoulder pads, you know, the men are rocking sort of skinny neckties. You see jumpsuits come in. Um, you see um, people trying to push out more their sort of sexiness of where they're looking. You see towards the end of the 80s the rise of um, the sort of supermodel comes into play. Uh, you see. Japan start to come on an influence as well, so Japanese designers such as Rei Kawakubu and Yoji Yamamoto over a look which marked a total break with the prevailing fashion image of the time. Flat shoes, no makeup, reverse, modesty and secrecy with the hallmarks of the modern look. Donna Karan and Ralph Lauren start to really come into this stride and start to influence it even more, of course with the polis and the ready-to-wear to type of styles. Um, you see hip-hop starting to come in with adidas Uh, the run dmc song releases my adidas in 86 and then you also see um, a multiplicity of trends during the 1980s Uh, and it's just the bigger the better and also that's where sort of the the fashion houses really just got to break free you know and do whatever it is that they wanted to do Uh, and then not to go on too long, but basically the 90s, it was kind of toned down and got rid of the, got rid of, I guess, the experimentation of the 70s and 80s. And then you sort of see brands like more readers where like Gap and Banana Republic sort of start up. Um, Gucci uh, comes more into line. Uh, Tom, F- And then they hired Tom Ford in 1994. Uh, and then he sort of just changes the way that, fashion is done uh, with sort of chic and shocking collections, perfumes for men, revamped boutiques. um, And he really just uh, ends up starting up his his own label. In the 1990s, the designer label Prada became a true creative force in the fashion industry. Uh, And it starts to look to sell more ready to wear fashion. Uh, It becomes a little bit more subtle and in America you've got Michael Kors, Mark Jacobs and Calvin Klein so the the aim is to make it um, more ready to wear and available so if you go back to the start it used to be just very much the person walks in and it's an individual piece and then now it's sort of made to look like let's try and get everyone in Louis Vuitton or whatever and that's where you start to see because of the ready to wear style that it starts to become more commercial because in a way, it's kind of like less individual, more about um, the fashion of the people power. So the question was, I guess, coming back to what I was thinking, was how how did it spread? Well, it spread, first of all, uh, through colonisation, essentially, where, you know, that was the Europeans, everything about Europe was dominant wherever they were or tried to be dominant wherever they were. So the fashion was obviously pushed. Uh, and then also it was the the rise of registered to where in sort of the the nineties and eighties was more sort of the financial boom and look at me and whatnot. Um, and it was also largely in part, as we see, starting from the seventies to do with, with, with film and, and fashion and, you know, rock stars and emulation and trying to emulate the people that you sort of really wanted, um, to look like. And then from the mid nineties, it just sort of kept growing and growing to where we're, we roughly get today, um, you know, where what we're basically seeing is, I guess, a legacy, really. It's a, like a legacy and a reflection of the financial times. So people now um, have the ability, uh, also with the advent of internet shopping, to buy anything from around the world pretty much now. So in, in places like Australia where there's been no economic recession um, for 25 years, you know, touch wood, people have money and people like my sister work hard. So where do they get the influence from? Well, they get the influence now from social media or magazines or whatever. There's general more knowledge about what the fashion designers are doing in sort of the main fashion hubs like Tokyo, Milan, and New York. Um, there's more people are more image conscious now because they're posting themselves to the world. Uh, and also, it's a sign of it's a sign of wealth, and I think that that's coming back to what it was always about. In a way, it was always a depiction of class and wealth. And what the French exported was not, you know, to a certain extent, yes, design. But I mean, you know, like I said, you know, my, my grandfather was a tailor, and I would have put him against any tailor in the world to create amazing fashion. He was actually the for the Vichyava theatre. He was the the tailor doing all sorts of different things, but it's always been about status. And I think that kind of comes back to, you know, an, an an amalgamation and to make my final point of you know, talking about my sister and you know, buying all those designer clothes in Milan, how do we get here? Well, we got here from A, the exportation of the idea of status and looking good and having something unique to now, with the ready to wear brands that we saw in the 90s, you can go and buy it off the shelf, buy it off the internet now and also with the 70s, 60s and 70s, starting to really push that of experimentation and looking and 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 trying to look better and look fly and whatnot. and will it grow? Well, yeah, I think it will grow because you know, everyone's life is online now, so, you know All the influencers and IG models want to be seen rocking their (laughs) fancy stuff. So, uh, well, this is one of the longest podcasts I've ever done. I did generally try as a bloke that doesn't really know that much about fashion to explain the fashion (laughs) industry and how we got here. If you didn't like it, well, sorry. If you did love it, I'll do it again. And if you're in the middle, well, stay tuned, because I'm sure I'll think up something more crazy for next time. Peace.